giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Victoria Ransom, founder and CEO of Prisma. Victoria, thanks for joining me on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Victoria, why don't, uh, before we jump into this great product that you have, why don't you tell people what Prisma really is? Sure. Prisma is a a very comprehensive um, educational program for kids who are learning from home or from anywhere in the world. It is not at all like traditional homeschooling because we provide kids with a, a very social experience. Kids are part of a cohort where they're meeting live with other kids uh, every single day and collaborating with them on projects and learning from each other and discussing. And we provide coaches who are there every step of the way with the kids, providing them with rich feedback, helping to bring out the best in them, providing really engaging live learning experiences. So not traditional homeschooling, although it has a lot of the really great benefits of that with the flexibility and the ability to learn from wherever you are. But we're equally not like typical online schooling, which I would say has tended to be more of an approach of taking traditional school and bringing it online. So, you know, there's still a concept of lectures and grades and textbooks they may be electronic in nature but they still sort of resemble textbooks because the the prisma curriculum is is very different it's it's rooted in learning through doing and project-based learning and applying learning to the real world and allowing kids a lot of choice so they're ideally always learning through the lens of something that interests them and allowing them to go at their own pace so a lot of sort of the best practices from some of the most innovative bricks and mortar schools we're bringing to an online environment and then of course we're very different from bricks and mortar schools because it is a a virtual program where kids can learn from anywhere so we think it's a new approach to education that is really uniquely flexible Mm -hmm. really prepares kids we're very focused on preparing kids for the kind of world they're going to live in, the world is always changing rapidly. But I think this generation of kids is going to experience a future that's unlike anything we've ever seen in terms of the level of shift and change. AI being one of the reasons, if you if you look at studies that sort of look at the future of work, I think um, some studies we've read say 65% of today's elementary school kids will work in jobs that are yet to be invented. So how do you prepare kids for that kind of future? And so we're very focused on giving kids the holistic skills and the mindset that they will need to thrive in that kind of world. So yeah, that is Prisma in a very long nutshell. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the context of what we're in, which is kids went just through a, through a year or more where a lot of kids were remote yes. for school. And did Prisma exist before the pandemic? It did in our minds very <laughs> much so, but, um, but not in reality. So Prisma arose out of our own personal needs. So my husband and I are the founders of Prisma. We've actually been entrepreneurs for most of our careers. After successfully selling a company to Google a few years ago, we said, whatever we do next in our lives, we want it to be something that has the potential to have a large positive impact on society and on the world. And then 
sort of struggle to figure out what that should look like because there's a lot of things that need solving in the world. But we have three children and as they approach school age, it really caused us to do a deep dive into how do we want to educate our kids? What do we think is the best approach to education? And from that, we started to formulate a vision by looking at all kinds of different schooling models from homeschooling to micro-schooling to innovative bricks and mortar schooling. We developed a picture for how we wanted to educate our kids, but that really inspired us to create something that could be accessible to many more kids than just our own kids. And so we had a good sort of 18 months to two years of researching, ideating, thinking about the pros and cons of a virtual model. And then along came COVID. And at that point, we said, you know what, there's never been a better time to test out an innovative new approach to schooling, especially one that was always going to be home-based from the get-go. And so let's stop ideating and dreaming about this and let's just put it into action and see how it goes. So it was born during COVID, but uh, the roots of Prisma very much predate COVID. So what was the actual timing there from you decided to do something? When was that? to you had the first students. Yeah, that was a whirlwind. (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah. um, So really, it was late March, I think, of 2020 when we said, we've just got to do this. Like the world is telling us to do this. To when we had our first kids in the door was early September. So between basically beginning of April to beginning of um, September, we incorporated we refined our vision. The good news is we had a vision and it was, Mm -hmm. you know, mapped out, uh, hired curriculum team, hired coaches, created a website, found our first families, all of that. And launched Prisma, you know, very clearly with the families saying, this is a pilot, you know, we're trying something new here. Let's see how this goes. And we actually told the families, look, we're going to definitely run this until the end of December, the end of the year. And if it's not going really, really well, then you know, we will suggest you go and do something better. Mm-hmm. But it went, it went great. I mean, it's not, it's not say our model is perfect and we believe very much in sort of constant improvement and constant iteration. But in terms of kids loving school, you know, at a time when kids were, the, the national narrative was that kids were hating school and they were falling behind and parents were finding distance learning a disaster. We had kids that were loving school more than they ever had and we surveyed kids and that's why we know that parents that were extremely happy you know we just everything was pointing to the fact that we really had found something unique that was really working and so you know it turned from a pilot into something that we're now putting all the building blocks in place to be able to scale more broadly school is a big thing a big concept and a very important one working so quickly in the midst of a pandemic you know, launching any product isn't as much an art in finding what those first features need to be. Yeah. How did you identify what that is and make sure you had something that was viable, yeah. but that you could get done on time? I think that came down to, because I mean, obviously our product is our curriculum and our model. We are mm-hmm. also, we have a software development team and a product development team, and they are building the tools that we'll need to run our model. But when we first launched, we were piecing together different tools that already existed. Mm-hmm. So the initial product really was 
the curriculum and our model of education and the tools that we piece together to make it work. And I think the reason we were able to be successful is that we did a lot of groundwork in saying what really matters, like what is our perspective on what is the goal of this educational model? We got Mm -hmm. clear on that. What do we think are the values or approaches that really are critical to achieving that goal? And then using that as our North Star. So to be more concrete, we were really clear about two things in terms of why we were developing this model. One was we really wanted kids to love learning. We think they should love learning because learning is amazing and it's exciting and every kid is born with an innate desire to learn. And that if you want to bring the best out in kids, you want them to be excited about what they're learning. So kids loving learning was a very strong sort of North Star for us. And the second was what I already talked about before is developing an educational model that'll really give kids the skills and mindsets they will need to really thrive in what is an exciting but uncertain future. And so that was sort of the North Star, why are we doing this? From that, we developed sort of clear perspective on okay, if we want kids to love learning, how do we do that? And so it was things like making sure that kids have choice so they can apply their learning to things that really excite them. Making sure learning is applied to the real world so kids are never saying, why the heck do I need this? Making sure that learning is as hands-on as possible because we think kids just get more out of it and learn more and enjoy it more if they can really be hands-on and project-based, making sure, I won't go through them all, but we have our sort of core curriculum values, making sure learning is happening in a community, supportive community. Uh, And then the other thing we're really clear on is, okay, what are these sort of overarching skills or mindsets that we think are critical to succeeding in adulthood? And it was things like uh, systems thinking and problem solving, having a designer's mindset, which is this concept of being comfortable with iterating and getting feedback and putting yourself in someone else's shoes, uh, being an, an excellent communicator and collaborator. Again, I won't go through them all, but we were just really clear. I think we had a really strong foundation of why do we exist and what is our approach here? And that enabled us to then be really clear about things like, okay, we, we're not going to throw the kitchen sink in terms of everything that kids need to learn. No, because we're more focused on overarching skills than checking the box on a thousand different science standards um, that mm-hmm. the kids might need to go through. So yeah, that it was, as you said, I think whenever you launch a product or a company, being able to narrow down because you can't offer everything you want to offer, being able to narrow down to what really matters is important. And I feel like we did a pretty good job with that. Awesome. What, what was the makeup of the initial team? You mentioned mm-hmm. you and your husband. Yeah. How did you split the responsibilities between you two? And then who else was involved? Yeah. So uh, my husband and I have been co-founders of several companies and it's worked really well because we have very different skill sets. Uh, My husband has much more of a a product mind. He's much more detail oriented and he has a real eye for design and user experiences and, and also a creative marketing mind. So that sort of gives you a sense of where he tends to focus and I've tended to focus more on people management and operationalizing businesses, being more the sort of the external spokesperson. And so that's how we have split. He's doing more of the software development and 
product marketing and marketing side of Prisma and I'm more involved in this sort of the day-to-day running of the program. Our first two very, very critical hires were curriculum developers and Prisma would not be what it is today if we hadn't hired the two people that we hired. And they really balance each other well because we hired Kristen who had a really deep experience in education she had at a pretty young age, founded her own charter school very successfully and just had sort of just had such super deep experience in education, teaching, teaching teachers, training teachers, managing her own school. And then we had Emily, who came from a a really non-traditional background. She'd actually come up through the theater world, had done a degree at um, Harvard School of Education, and they actually had some good experience with working with professors at Harvard in sort of innovative ways to assess also computer science education and she's got a just a very sort of out of the box way of thinking and between the two of those it was a really great combination for us to turn what was a a vision of a curriculum that Alan and I had created into something actually concrete and then the other critical hires were our first coaches again we got super lucky in hiring just really fantastic coaches and we've now realized like hiring great coaches is a very fundamental part of what we do and in fact will be one of our scaling challenges I think Hmm. but again we got really lucky with our coaches and then over time we've hired operations people and product people but I think that initial magic of the curriculum team and the coaching team was really important We, we, we wouldn't be where we are today if we hadn't hired those people I think yeah did you bring on the two uh, curriculum team members full-time right away? We intended to, I think, when we were still like incorporating the business and, you know, like all of this was happening in such a rush that I think we technically had to bring them on as contractors, but it was intended as a full-time role. Having said that, our hiring process asked them to sketch out in a fairly in-depth way, or at least to sketch out in-depth pieces of what the ultimate Prisma curriculum would look like. So we did have a chance, I think, to test them out fairly well before we committed. So did you take investment to start Prisma or did you self-fund it? We we have self-funded. We're super lucky to be in the position to be able to do that. And we are continuing to self-fund. We, we had a ton of interest from venture capitalists, I think partly because we're you know, somewhat proven entrepreneurs with other successes. Mm-hmm. And then also because there was just suddenly a big spotlight on education right. and the belief that education, you know, might really shift. But we we have not taken funding because it doesn't mean we won't ever, but mm-hmm. we're very focused on being mission first. And we're also very focused on growing carefully and thoughtfully. We think in the long run, we'll be far more successful if we really grow conservatively, at least initially, until we really feel like we've refined this and we know how to keep a really high level of quality and customer satisfaction while scaling. And I think our concern is that sometimes when you take outside capital, that that capital might not be as patient as mm-hmm. you know, it might really push to grow faster than what we think might be the best approach. So thus far, we're just in the lucky position where we haven't had to take outside capital. Yeah. I assume that you're on a traditional school schedule based on what you said about starting in September. We kind of 
are actually, which is which is funny because our initial vision for Prisma was to have it be year round. Mm-hmm. And I think our families have been super open to so many innovative things, but the idea of having a summer break seems to be something that families don't want to give up on. (laughs) So I think our ultimate goal is that we'll be able to offer a summer program for those families that want to sort of either go year round or that want to, maybe they want to do the summer program and not do a winter program. And, you know, we do have kids already that are in the Southern Hemisphere where that is desirable. Right. But so far, we haven't tackled a summer program just because, you know, we're already tackling a lot. But yeah, we surveyed families and they actually kind of really wanted to mostly stick with the idea of having a summer, a more traditional summer break. But does that mean that you can't add students outside of that cycle? So you really, truly have cohorts (laughs) or are you adding people along the way? We are adding people along the way. Yeah. I mean, there's... We operate in five-week cycles, actually, Mm -hmm. and each cycle has an overarching theme, and that's sort of part of our goal of making things feel really uh, real world. And also, because kids have a lot of choice, we do want there to be some unifying um, sort of factor to what they're doing. And so examples of themes are we've done Cities of the Future, Hidden Histories, which looked at sort of US history, but really from the perspective of lessons we can learn. Inventor Studio, where kids learned all about design thinking through being real inventors. We have a super cool theme right now called Uncharted Territories, which has got some really strong STEM learning, but through the lens of space exploration and deep sea exploration. And, and kids are working on an um, interdisciplinary project during that time. We have live workshops that are aligned around the theme. And then they're also working on what we call missions, so math missions and writing missions, which, again, are really honoring that idea of giving kids choice and allowing them to go at their own pace, but just to make sure they're really getting the foundations they need in math and writing. But really, a kid could join at the beginning of every of any cycle. Okay. Well, that's great. Is that sort of a happy accident of the model or was it intentional in terms of from a product perspective, making sure that you could continue to to add people and weren't locked into a small set of initial users? Yeah, no, that was intentional, although our original, original model that we launched with did not have five week cycles. It actually didn't have themes either. It was Mm -hmm. more trimester based um we call them sessions not trimesters and so that was more of a model where we could have kids come in every trimester and then it's evolved to do these five-week cycles and themes and you know from feedback we got in that first trimester we evolved the model and so I guess we've now evolved in a way where we could have even more frequent intakes but yeah I think it was very for us not coming from the education world the idea that you could only bring customers on board once a year that felt very foreign so we've always had the idea of let's make sure we can onboard kids throughout the year so what did the first families I guess the early adopters what did they look like they were a real mix so some long-time public school families some private school families some long-time homeschool families. It was a a real mix. I think it was a mix. Now the Prisma families, I would say, are very much bought into precisely what our model and our vision is. But Mm -hmm. that first set of pilot families, I think some of them, uh, you know, if you ask them honestly, would say, you know, school is a disaster because of COVID. We're willing to give anything a shot. We'll give this a shot. And I think 
what's been really surprising to some of those families is wow, we actually really only thought we'd do this for a year and now we're, we're continuing because it worked. But it was a mix of families, I'd say, who you know had always really believed in a more alternative, innovative approach to education, but for one reason or another hadn't had the ability to test it, perhaps because there was no schools like that in their neighbourhood or um, because they just hadn't perhaps had the courage to try it out. So there was that set of families. There were families that had kids that would be probably said to be gifted and were just not being challenged in school and were a bit bored and not really living up to their potential that I think were attracted to give Prisma a shot. There were homeschool families who really loved the idea of home-based learning but were looking for more community, a bit more support by having sort of some structure and some coaches. And then some families where kids had not thrived in school because they had special learning needs or you know we we even have kids at Prisma that have physical disabilities where physically showing up in school each day is really tough and and online learning is just you know makes their lives so much easier so I guess the ultimate theme here is it was families for whom the more traditional bricks and mortar approach was maybe okay, but it wasn't like wildly successful for their kids. Um, you focus on a particular grade levels or age range, right? Yes, fourth through eighth right now. Yeah. And you said right now. So <laughs> why did you choose that age to focus on and do you plan on expanding? Yes, we do plan on expanding. I think the first expansion will be to go up into high school grades. The reason we focused on fourth through eighth uh, was twofold. One was that we just think parents are more open to experimenting with a new model at the elementary middle school level than they are at the high school level. Mm-hmm. So there was that. Just because once you get to high school, there's more, you know, parents and kids alike start to get more anxious about things like college admissions and perhaps become more risk averse. Yeah. But the other really big reason came from all the conversations we had with teachers. I didn't mention that when we hired for our, our first coaching roles, we got 1,400 applicants wow. <laughs> applying. And so, you know, we narrowed it down. I, I did not talk to 1,400 people, but <laughs> I talked to lots of teachers. And actually, we started off when we first started those conversations saying we were going to focus on high school. And we shifted our thinking in part because of so many of those teachers said that they felt like sort of fourth, fifth, sixth grade is a real turning point for kids in terms of their enjoyment of school and their confidence in their own abilities. Mm. And part of the reason for that, not the only reason, is that testing starts to ramp up at that stage in schooling. But we just really felt like if we could catch kids at that point before they'd sort of lost their uh, enjoyment for learning and before they'd started to internalize ideas like I'm not good at school or I'm not good at math or whatever it may be, that we could have the greatest impact. The other thing is like it's quite an unlearning process the kids have to go through when they join Prisma because we give them a lot of autonomy and independence and ability to make choices and have control over their schedule and we ask them to write uh, self-reviews and when it's time for a parent coach learner conference the learner leads that conference and the earlier you can get kids 
I think the easier it is to get them to adapt to that sort of approach than when you get them later in their schooling where they've really been sort of, it's been drummed into them that you sort of, you paint within the lines, you do what you're told, you do this in order to get good grades. And, and so that was sort of another piece that attracted us to that age range. How old are your kids? Good question. So they are seven, four, and two. So they're not quite old enough for Prisma yet. So we're sort of doing our own version of Prisma right now until our oldest is old enough for Prisma. And the, the reason we didn't go below fourth grade, at least for now, is we do think there is a limit to how young you can go yeah. and be successful with a largely virtual model. And so that's why we haven't gone below fourth. And so, um, you know, our seven-year-old is being homeschooled, but we've also put together a community of other homeschool kids that she learns with several times a week um, and gets sort of that socialization piece. So that's sort of the cohort piece that we offer through Prisma. But yeah, she's definitely, she's in training to be a Prisma <laughs> How do you balance with both you and your husband working on Prisma yeah. homeschooling a seven-year-old, yeah. the other kids. How, how are you balancing all of that? And just parenthood in general, because yes. this is my first time, our first time starting a company while having kids. We had a pretty long gap in between mm -hmm. our last company and this. So honest answer is we have hired a teacher for the homeschooling piece. So mm -hmm. that helps a lot. And she's super capable and she's really the frontline person for managing the sort of community that we've developed. So the harder piece, it's not that so much. It's managing parenthood with entrepreneurship. Um, <laughs> I would say it's a work in progress and ask me some days and I'll say that's going great and ask me other days and I would say it's not going so great. We are really, really lucky that we can hire good childcare, so that helps a lot. But even if you have great childcare, there's just you know, I, I want to be involved with my kids. I love mm -hmm. my time with my kids. There's also just so many decisions and things you need to be involved in with kids that you truly don't want to and should not outsource, whether it's as simple as like on my to-do list right now is that the two-year-old's birthday is coming up and I'm not going to outsource buying birthday presents or organizing a party. So that's mm -hmm. on my to-do list. So I would say Relative to when we had our previous company, you know, which was really successful and stressful and busy, but that was the only thing we had to worry about. Trying to manage a company and kids is just, it's a lot of um, context shifting. But for me, at least, I'm very, very rigid about my time. So I will organize my schedule so that I finish at least at the latest by 4 p.m. each day and that is my time with the kids and I'm with them until they're in bed and then I'll jump back online but um, there's almost nothing that will interfere with that and that's just how I've prioritized and that's just really important to me so it's setting priorities I guess. Yeah when we were setting up for the show you said that you were in the office so do you you, you separate home and work and school places I guess? Kind of. The office is um, a little built-out area of our garage. So, okay. <laughs> so, so I walk from the front door three paces into the garage, but it is separated to the extent that, you know, the, the kids are not running in at any moment. This is kind of the, they don't really come here. Mm -hmm. But it's really nice. And I, I think a lot of parents have discovered that during this whole COVID work from home experience, 
and with kids home too, it's it's really nice because not every day, but some days I can go in and have lunch with the kids because mm-hmm. they're all around. And, um, you know, some days I can pop over to Al's classroom and see what she's doing and be involved and do a bit of reading with her and that sort of thing. So I personally really love the efficiency of working from home, not no wasting no time with commutes, and also just the ability to be really flexible with my time like you know maybe I will take an hour out in the middle of the day to do something with the kids and then I'll I'll make it up later in the evening just because that's fine I don't have that much going on in the evening anyway once the kids are in bed so um I personally really like that flexibility so turning our attention back to the product you said that um you know you got started piecing together existing tools in or on the tech on the tech side and so what were the first things that you started to replace in that stack? And when did you start hiring a tech team to do that? Yeah. So, you know, Alan, my husband's background is product management. So we had sort of product expertise already. We spun up a team of engineers, I think already by October or late October um, of 2020. So shortly after we had officially begun the school year and fortunately we you know these were engineers we'd worked with before in previous companies and the first thing we started to tackle actually was the live learning experience so basically a replacement for zoom and that was partly because we felt like there was nothing available that had really designed a live learning experience through the eyes of fourth through eighth graders through that Mm -hmm. sort of demographic and also because you know, the other product needs that we have that we're now tackling is sort of everything we need to just manage the whole curriculum, like a learning management system. But our whole model was still too much in flux for us to want to focus on that right away. We needed some clarity about what the model would look like. Whereas the idea that we would always have a live learning component where kids would be online, there'd be a coach, but it would be very collaborative and interactive uh, was very clear. We knew that wouldn't shift. And so that was the first piece we tackled. And, you know, we've really tried to tackle a few different areas there. One is to make coaches really efficient so that they're not sort of trying to focus on creating this really engaging learning experience while also having 15 different tabs open and trying to play this YouTube video. So we've basically created a, we call it Prisma Live, where we can, our curriculum team can create these semi-scripted, because we certainly let coaches deviate, of course, but experiences with chapters and there's a lot of shifting of the way the room looks and the way the kids are organized and the visuals because a lot of the research we looked at is that fatigue, Zoom fatigue actually comes from sort of like staring for a long time at the same scene of this person you're talking to or these people you're talking to. So to make it visually stimulating and appealing for kids and seamless for coaches so they can just sort of, they don't need to worry about uh, managing all these different aspects of, of the workshop. They're just clicking through and, and focusing on making sure kids are participating. And participation was another thing we really focused on. Of uh, We do a lot of breakout rooms because we want kids to be collaborating in small groups. So we wanted coaches to be able to, instead of having to sort of jump into breakout rooms and interrupt the flow and not know who needs help, the ability for them to stay in the main room and be able to sort of 
listen in and get an oversight for how things are going in the various breakout rooms and jump into those rooms where it's clear that they're needed perhaps because there's not mm-hmm. much there's not much going on in there there's not much discussion or maybe there's a lot of very animated discussion so that was an area we focused on and then just making it more kid friendly and more fun and you know that every cycle at Prisma ends with expo day where kids present the project they've been working on to the whole Prisma community parents and grandparents and you know, one of the real downsides of virtual in that experience is these kids are presenting these amazing things, but there is limited ability to for people to express how amazing they think it is. And so just visual ways of people being able to express their emotions and their reactions during live workshops is another thing we've we've focused on, fun avatars that would appeal to kids and and that sort of thing. So that, that has been our first focus. Now we're um, heads down on the learning management piece. Like mm-hmm. what are the building blocks we need to put in place in order to be able to keep the customer experience really high whilst uh, making our coaches more and more effective and more and more scalable. So as you got started or when you were thinking about getting started, what were you most afraid of? Well, aside from the fact that we're trying to pull this off really quickly and being afraid that like this would be a complete failure, aside from that, honestly... (laughs) Just that small thing. (laughs) Yeah. I think the thing that we were most nervous about, and I think it's the thing we probably get the biggest question about, and yet it has proven to be the thing we really didn't need to worry about, is socialization. And to what extent can kids build friendships virtually? To what extent can they build community virtually? To what extent can they meaningfully collaborate and learn together virtually? And, you know, I I think we went in hoping that all of that was fully achievable, but not being quite sure about it. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the signs were so quick that that wasn't going to be an issue for us. Already in orientation, we organized this really fun orientation, you know, mostly oriented around making sure kids were excited and got to know each other. And so quickly we started hearing from parents like, oh, my kid can't stop talking about Prisma. They're jumping out of bed every morning. They've never done that before. They never jumped out of bed to go to school. And um, my kid has already made their first friends. And, you know, what I, what I think we've discovered is absolutely kids can make friends uh, virtually. And, and probably kids would have never questioned that, actually. That probably felt mm. natural to them. I think it's maybe adults that might question that. Now, does that mean that kids shouldn't have in-person friends? Uh of course they should and would strongly encourage Prisma families to make sure their kids are enrolled in extracurriculars in their community and that sort of thing. We've surveyed the kids. Every single Prisma learner has said that they've made strong friendships at Prisma. For some of them, it's many friendships. For some of them, it's a smaller number of friendships. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's just gone really well, I think, better than in-person school or bricks and mortar school is the community we've created. It is just it's a really, really supportive community of kids. There's, there sort of hasn't been this like sorting that I think happens in schools, particularly at the middle school and high school level of like, you know, you're part of that clique and you're part of that clique and mm-hmm. we're a little cooler than you are. Maybe just the, the nature of virtual makes it harder to sort kids like that. And, you know, there's not the natural time of like in the cafeteria where you have to decide yeah. where you're going to sit and that kind of awkwardness. Plus, we did a lot of legwork up front 
of working with the kids to say, what kind of community do we want to build here? What are the values of our cohort? What are the expectations of our cohort? And I think that really helped to create a community that's just really kind and supportive, pretty uniquely kind and supportive, I yeah. think. Cool. That That's great. And now that you're up and running and, and continuing to grow, looking ahead, what are you most worried about now as your next challenge? Yeah, I think the biggest, hardest thing for us to figure out is how to keep the level of quality great results. I haven't even mentioned yet, but we are making sure that kids are progressing both academically in terms of these holistic skills. And Mm -hmm. on the academic front, we've seen really amazing growth. So the kids did a sort of nationally recognized assessment at the end of last year and at the beginning when they joined and they grew in math at 153% of expected growth and 174% of expected growth in reading. So we've set a really high bar for ourselves. Kids are loving Prisma. 100% of kids said they're happier at Prisma than their previous school. We have a really great net promoter score, which means parents are really willing to recommend Prisma. We're seeing great uh, sort of growth in the kids. So how do we keep that super high bar whilst opening Prisma up to more and more and more kids? Because part of the attraction for us to offer a, a virtual model was the desire to be able to reach large numbers of kids if we came up with a model that really worked. And I think through all of our research, one of the things we noticed is there's amazingly innovative schools out there. There are a lot of really innovative bricks and mortar schools, actually, but they really haven't scaled. They tend to be sort of a few have scaled a bit, but they're still very limited in the number of kids that they can reach. And part of our thesis was that if you could do this online, just online is inherently more scalable you're not dealing with buildings and Mm -hmm. you know everything that goes along with that but nevertheless we still are a model where coaches are really important so our ability to continue to find train and develop coaches that are really awesome I think will be a challenge, something we're going to have to get really, really good at. And then just making sure that we can strike the right balance because we also want to be a model that's as affordable as possible. And that requires us to make sure that our, you know, our costs are reasonable. So striking that balance and trying to use technology to be as efficient as possible, I think is that's the next set of challenges that we, we need to deal with. Are you comfortable sharing how many students you have now? Yeah, I'm comfortable with that because, you know, the number we have was very much set by our own desire to grow carefully. So we have almost 90 kids and we have a very long wait list, basically. Well, that's bigger than my high school graduating class. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's funny because people react differently to that. Some people are like, wow, that's pretty big. I mean, it's not, not nearly as big as we intend to get, but we decided to cap. We wanted to be disciplined. We had way more demand than that. But Further to what I said of quality first and delighting customers first, we said, nope, we'll cut it off at that point. And families have gone on to a wait list, which is growing by the day. And then we'll we'll be able to let more families in throughout the year. But we're small, but we're a lot bigger than we were in our first pilot year. And I think what's been really exciting is, you know, we're, we're still somewhat early into the school year, but that level of delight and excitement and families just 
writing to us and saying, I've never seen my kids so excited and that's happening again. So it's really exciting to see that we've, we're getting that again, even though we have actually grown quite a bit relative to where we were. Well, congratulations on everything that you've achieved so far and in tackling these upcoming challenges. Thank you. If people want to find out more about Prisma and join, or if they're interested in you know, becoming a great coach, where, where can they do that? So the best place to go is our website, which is joinprisma.com. So not prisma.com, join Prisma. Uh, we have a super detailed website, which I think is I, I think is really informative. So that's a great place to start. You can also sign up for an info session there if you want to, you know, live um, and talk to someone live about Prisma. And then yes, we have job postings on there as well. And we're always super excited to hear from talented candidates. So that's the best place to go. And if people want to follow along with you personally or get in touch, where's the best places for them to do that? So we do have um, Prisma social media accounts. So Twitter is join Prisma and I'm not the most active person on social media. My husband is much more active. So they may want to follow him. He's Alan Shuard. I presume his Twitter handle is at Alan Shuard, (laughs) C-H-U-A-R-D. And you can reach me if you uh, email info at uh, joinprisma.com, but you address it to Victoria, it will reach me and I will reply. Awesome. And people can find all these links and everything in the show notes, which are at giantrobots.fm. You can also subscribe to the show there as well. And if you have questions or comments for us, email us at host at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Everybody, thanks for listening and see you next time. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you. Thanks so much. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.